I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Writers Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker, and even if you're not an astute watcher of this program, if you're listening, you will not understand this, but if you're watching, today I'm not in the cowboy hat. Today, I'm in my Baltimore Orioles fedora, which I got two years ago when I was in Baltimore for Father's Day. I was taking a tour of East Coast baseball stadiums, and I arranged these trips around giveaways, and they had a fedora day, and they were also showing um, uh, Bull Durham. And so I went out there, and uh, I will never be able to wear this fedora anytime other than in the stadium that day and on this show. And the reason that I'm wearing it on this show today is I have Greg Larson and his book, Clubby, uh, Minor League Baseball Memoir, which is out now, um, is related to this. So he's the, uh, Greg is an author, uh, an editor, and a stand-up comedian. He spent two years as a clubhouse attendant for Cal Ripken Jr.'s Aberdeen Ironbirds, a uh, short-season single-A affiliate for the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if you know who Cal Ripken Jr. is. Uh, if you don't, he was a shortstop. He has the record for most consecutive games played. Uh, watching that night when he broke Lou Gehrig's record was one of those emotional, like, rip your guts out baseball moments. So, obviously, if you're writing a baseball book, you can come on this program and I will talk about it. Uh, and I just happen to have this this Baltimore Orioles cap. Um, you can clearly expect David Simon to be talked about. Like, all of the things that you would expect me to be talking about today on the show, we will be talking about. Uh, and it's great. Um, Greg is fantastic and he understands the game and also uh, 
as a writer. So those kinds of things, as you know, are some of my favorite things. Before we get all to that, if you've listened to the program before, you know it's coming. If not, it's going to be fucking fantastic. Uh, the Jam proper, our 60-minute show, comes out every Wednesday. We also have these video podcasts that come out like Mondays and Fridays. Those are a little more ish. Uh, there's two things you can do to help us spread the word. The first, tell your friends about us. Look, everybody's getting back to the world. They are driving, they're running, they're going to the gym. They're looking to not talk to other people. And the best way to do that is to listen to podcasts. And the best way to do that is to listen to my podcast. But they don't know that unless you tell them about it. So tell your friends about us. The second thing you can do is leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you happen to have an iPhone or an iPad, you can pop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review as well. All that is how we get discovered. You can also head on over to our Facebook page, leave us a review there, which would be fantastic. Or you can go to thewritersjam.com, leave a testimonial through the contact page, and we'll use that when we send out materials to other folks. Like I said, you can check out the video series while you're at the website. If you're looking for a book to buy, click on our bookshop link. You can get the books of anybody who's been on the program. When you do that, you support local bookstores across the country. Looking for a book to read? You can also click on our book review section. We review the books of people that we've had on the show. Or if that is just way too much goddamn clicking, all you got to do is sign up for our newsletter. All that will come right to your email box every month. If you would like to support the entire solid listen network click on that patreon button for just a couple bucks a month get all kinds of commercial free episodes done by everybody on the network so it's a pretty good deal for a couple dollars a month um you know i joke that this is there that i have these like dan patrick episodes of the writer's jam but the reality is like i love baseball um i will watch baseball pretty much anytime it's on all the time go to games i have mlb tv here like it's just sort of like it's both background noise and just one of the most entertaining things um for me of all of the baseball that i love to go see i love to go see modern league baseball lots of reasons it's cheaper um you're sort of right on the action you can see prospects as they're coming up um the fan experience is a lot of fun like there's just shit going on all the time there's families there like it's a nice atmosphere but there is this downside to the minor leagues as well and we greg and i talk a little bit about that and if you've listened to the show to any of the baseball conversations i've had you've heard me talk about it and that's the finances because uh you know major leaguers make a lot of money but minor leaguers don't and particularly when you're down in that single and double a you're not making a living wage like most of those guys work other jobs they get paid during the season but that's it unless you get a big signing bonus which most guys aren't getting it's a pretty brutal thing so along with the enjoyment of watching the game there is also this economic reality that like look you know if you play till you're 27 28 29 years old like you got a resume that doesn't have a whole lot on it now you're 30 and trying to start out and imagine like if i don't know how old you are but uh, if you're over 30, you remember like that, the, that experience you got in the twenties was sort of like what jump started your career. So it's, it is a difficult proposition to watch because most guys in the major leagues, um, or most guys in the minor leagues, like they're not going to make it. They don't have a shot to make it. And they know they don't have a shot to make it, but they love the game. 
And so there's this weird dichotomy of baseball. And so when I saw that Greg had, had, you know, done this clubhouse work for two years and wrote about it, like I was really excited to have him on the show just because there's so much about baseball and life, um, particularly for men. Uh, and maybe it's just men of a certain age, but like, it's a big part of like, strangely emotional development happens there. And you've listened to the program. You've heard me talk like there's again, downsides to that. It is not always um, the best place to be, but in its best form, it's this amazing place to bond and to explore, um, you know, all kinds of things in your life. So I was really happy to have him on the show and, you know, it's Baltimore. So we got a little David Simon in there as well. And it's, that I feel like makes for a good program. So I appreciate you guys coming to spend a little time with us. Uh, thanks for stopping by the bunker with Max and I. I hope that your day is going well. I hope that you are taking care of yourself. And I hope that you will sit back for the next 30 minutes or so and enjoy my conversation with Greg Larson. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm also really happy because uh, whenever I get somebody who is a baseball person on a show, it's my favorite thing because those two paths literature and baseball don't pass enough um so i love going to minor league games one of my favorite things to do in the whole world how do you end up working in the clubhouse for a single a team like this is not a lifelong dream that you had i'm assuming no i mean really my lifelong dream was to be a, a professional ball player myself yeah. so like i was doing anything i could uh look I, I graduated with an english degree from college and um really my only job experience was being a clubhouse attendant for my college baseball team. And so when I graduated, that was like my only job experience. And it's 2011. I had an English degree, no jobs really available for me. And I was like, screw it, man. I could do worse than to work in professional baseball. And I showed up and dude, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Did you think, well, I'm going to write about this. Like I'm a writer. We're all writers here. Like, yeah. always looking for things or were you just like i need a job and i love baseball yeah i just needed a job i was just living my life i didn't think i was going to go in and oh i'm going to have a memoir out of this but you know lo and behold by the time i showed up i just found all these interesting dynamics like me wanting to be one of the players all the players being taken advantage of by that system and yet me still wanting to be them and like this little brother feeling in the clubhouse that i had it's just all of these interesting dynamics i just thought i'm just going to keep track of things like I kept a very detailed journal. Yeah. And that was like the genesis of the first draft of the book, but I didn't go into it thinking that I'm going to write an expose about this. It's just living my life. And where, where's the team at? Aberdeen, Maryland. They're, they used to be the short season single A affiliate for the Orioles in the New York Penn league. New York Penn league has since been abolished. Now they're oh, the was that part of the, affiliate. was that part of the consolidation that happened this year? Yes, sir. Uh, a bunch of the, there are a couple of teams in that league still exist, but most of them got wiped off the map and now it's, you know, they're high a East or whatever you yeah. know, corporatized name they have for them now. So this will be an interesting conversation. Uh, I was actually, I was happy that they contracted the minor leagues because that system. Okay, good. Cause that system is, I always tell people like when you go to a double a game, there's one guy that may make it and everybody yep. else is making no money to give that guy some at bats. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I could not agree more. Like I think it's a completely mm, utopian view for people to think that the entire league, all of those teams should stay, should stay in. It's just like this really romanticized vision of the game. Like, 
oh, but I want a minor league team down the street. But it's like, you don't realize what that's costing a lot of these young men to have that team so close to you. And yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and it's rough because like, I love baseball. Like, so when I graduated college, uh, I had the opportunity to interview with the devil rays in the front office, but I'd also <laughs> gotten into journalism school. So I had to make that choice. Like, and I've told folks like I, at 49, I regret it. Like when I go to the baseball game, I'm like, shit, my job could be coming to the baseball. <laughs> but at 23, 24, I told folks like, I didn't want to be drunk in a station wagon in my car in Florida, looking at some kid going, I feel like I'm better than he is. <laughs> that's exactly i mean that sums it up right there man. does this like, ring a little too close to home <laughs> yeah that's dead on man i mean i'm glad that i'm glad that i had that experience working in minor league baseball and i'm also glad that i did it when i was right out of college if yeah. i were still in there i would i don't know there were different paths for me to follow and being a writer is probably the right path for me and it's such an internet like i love the game like uh and I think a lot of us come to it the same way, like a parent or a grandparent, like sort of brings you in. And so there's that nostalgia feeling, but I don't think a lot of people understand what the minor leagues are and the way, like, you know, all the different flavors, right. From the independent league, which is really like as close to semi-pro barnstorming as you can get yep. um, to like those early league, you know, where, I mean, most of those, I'm assuming most of those guys are working second jobs, right? Like they're, they're not making enough money to live. No, I mean, so the guys in my league, they're, depending on how much experience they had, their salary was approximately $1,200 a month. And our league only lasted three and a half months out of the year, and they only got paid during those months. So they were making gross $4,500 a year playing baseball. So like, yeah, yeah some of them were baristas in the offseason. They were training and training little kids in the offseason, just that kind of stuff. Like, Yeah, and living five in a house, six in a house during the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the team put me up. I was the, you know, the jockstrap washer. They put me up in an apartment. And so then any given time, I told the players like, hey, man, if you want, you can just crash my living room. Any given time, we'd have five guys in my living room yeah. just cycling in and out. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, uh, particularly like when you see, because I think now the the medium, like it may be AAA income is for players like $100,000. And I always tell folks like, this ain't mean meeting and mode. Somebody's making a lot of money and everybody else is making no money. <laughs> oh yeah. The, so, you know, minor league or uh, major league baseball's owners have increased the salaries some this year, Yeah. but the, the base salary for each level is uh, $15,000 or less at AAA. Like the base salary is just above $15,000, but like those are poverty level wages. A few guys will have a free agent contract in AAA, like you said, but like, the template salaries are poverty level. Yeah. And it's such, it, it, I just find that crazy because kids still do it, right? Like, yes. I mean, the independent league exists primarily because it's people that aged out of the minor leagues who don't want to quit playing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I have a real complicated relationship. I mean, that's part of why I wrote this book is because it's, that's so fascinating to me because what gets spotlight what gets the spotlight so often are the guys who they toiled away for 10 years and then they come back and they finally like break through to the major leagues. It's like for every one of those, there's a hundred guys who just wash out at age 23 and they don't have any other experience or training in their entire lives. Well, and that's the thing, right? And I, I'm assuming you're like me, like I come from a small town, but like, I know, I personally, I know five guys that made it to triple a who didn't make it and they're back in town. Yes. And you're like, man, you're one step below the highest level of the game. 
Right. And it means nothing when it's over. Like for most of them, not it doesn't mean anything, but like there is nothing tangible to show for that. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta. And I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. And you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, all those eggs went into a single basket. And like, there's something about that that's very admirable. And I like, that's there's something beautiful about just giving everything to the game. But I think that there are some people in Major League Baseball who take advantage of that. You uh, think? Yeah. yeah. And I think those, those low wages are part of that system. Yeah. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing because it is unlike, I mean, in some ways it's like the European soccer model, right? There's not mm-hmm. relegation, but like teams change affiliations. They move up and down. Oh, yeah. Like there, it like, that's as close as we have to that European model. Um, and I don't, because it's the minor leagues in America and baseball, I think people think like, well, all those guys in training are being taken care of. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it is not like going to the game yeah. is fun, but you're like, I paid $3 for this minor league game. This is great. <laughs> right. you know, a lot crazy. of the things that make it great for the fans are the very things that make it terrible for the players. Yeah. <laughs> so you sit down to write the book. Uh, what it like, what's the story? Like, what's the thing you want to accomplish with it? Like you've taken all these notes, you've done all this stuff. Like what's the through line that you're like, this is it. This is what I want to tell people. The first time I wrote, when I wrote the first draft, the first iteration of this book, it was an expose. Like I was trying to say like, look how bad minor league baseball is treating its players and the world needs to know about it. I wasn't a character in it. I thought I was a journalist, all this kind of stuff. But um, it was my graduate thesis that I was actually writing as clubby. And it was in one of the graduate workshops. One of my classmates, my friend, she said, I find it interesting that Greg isn't a character in these stories, especially given the fact that he so obviously wants to be one of the players. And I was like, oh, she's right. Like there was this interesting dynamic that I think I was afraid of exploring. So I kept myself out of of it. 
And I was like, shit, if I want to tell this story in the most interesting, complete way, one, I got to stop trying to pretend to be objective because yeah. I'm a very, I'm not objective. And two, like I have to make myself maybe the main character of the book. And that's the most interesting dynamic in this world. So at first I was trying to prove a point, like minor league baseball treats its players poorly, but then eventually I was just trying to evoke a feeling of what is it like to grow up in a game that tries to keep us all young? And what is it like to try to love yourself? What is it like to, to love another person when you struggle to love yourself? And just these, I wanted to just evoke these feelings as opposed yeah. to try to prove a point. It's so, it's so, that, that's fascinating to me because I rarely go to a baseball game with people that don't understand the game. I will go to a game with somebody that wants to learn. Cause like, if you ask me a question, why did that person do that? I'm like, well, sit back. Let me explain what's <laughs> yeah. going on. And one of the things that I, that I love about that is baseball lends itself to that, right? Like it, it this, what I'm about to say is nothing new, but like those long pauses allow for thought and contemplation and conversation and relationship building. And even when you, I was watching last night, uh, like not bloopers in baseball, but like funny things players do to each other, right? Like opposing mm -hmm. players when they're, and I'm like, if you just watch the game, man, those they're just playing, right? Like yes. it's serious to them, but they are literally just playing and they love playing with each other. And there's so many things like what you're talking about, right? Love, uh, commitment, like what does it mean to even be? And how do you like, what does it mean to love these brothers that you don't really know? Like I'm assuming these are the things that are trying to come out in the book. Oh, of course. Like uh, our pitching coach, Alan Mills, he had this saying where at the end of each season, he would look at the clubhouse and he would say, all right, y'all motherfuckers can go back to choosing your friends. As in during the summers, you don't have a choice of who your friends and who your brothers are. You just kind of make the best of it. And yeah, that's, that's part of what I was trying to explore in the book. I mean, really what I wanted to, to show the world was like, what is it like? Why is this world so addicting? It's such mm -hmm. a pathetic and it's such a terrible world in so many ways, but it's the, the little moments that make it amazing. Like, you know, a run at a championship after a cellar dweller year or me getting on the field to warm up the right fielder in a game and putting on a jersey and all these little moments that just keep you coming back for maybe months or like years afterwards. Yeah. Or like me at 49, I still travel around and like go to games and go to minor league games. And like, I talk to everybody, like I've told folks, I feel more at home when I walk into a baseball stadium. I know how everything works and it's the only place in this country that I walk into a place and go, yeah, you couldn't put something in front of me that I wouldn't understand. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know if you felt this or, or, or found this to be true or not, but it's one of the few places that men can have those kinds of feelings and expressions and you have time to really engage in it. And you're on the road together. If it's American Legion for three months, if it's baseball, it's seven months. Like it feels like one of those weirdly wrong word for it, but like progressive guy spaces. It can be. It, it can, can be. Also, I know it's yes. a terrible place, right? Like it can be, <laughs> it mostly is not, but it does have that emotional pull for men that I think that it doesn't, I don't know where else I get that from. Yeah. I, the biggest thing I think of is the relationships between fathers and sons because baseball, it's like baseball is such a boring game that it needs to be passed down from another person. Like you need <laughs> another person to introduce you to it. Uh, basketball or football is inherently interesting where a yeah. kid could just be fascinated by it of its own volition. Yeah. You need a dad or a mom or a grandfather to introduce you to baseball. And I think that just like my own relationship with my dad is a part of the book. And like my own relationship with my dad, I think is buttressed by the fact that we both 
play catch every time we see each other. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what I mean by those faces of maleness. Like it's the team, but like that, I mean, I don't know this to be true, but I know, I feel like I watch other sports and something happens and somebody thanks their mom and I watch baseball and it's like, dad, you know, like my, my dad and I started doing this in the back here. You know what I mean? Like it is just one of right. those places where there seems to be an ability to express an emotion to another man, your father, your friend, your teammates, whatever that is, gets to be genuine. That's true, man. I'm, uh, there's a point in the book where I, I like in baseball season to like being in war where it's just, it's a war of attrition where it's just little yeah. victories and little, and maybe some of that brotherhood feeling is very soldier like. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know if it's true or not. I just know those are my feelings. And like, I, like it's one of the draw, like I don't go to the games with my dad anymore. Like he lives, you know, away from me, but I still go and I still want to talk to other people like other guys. I told my friend, like it's Tinder for middle-aged divorce men. Like you just walk around and I'm like, Oh, there's going to be 300 of me walking around. Having right. to be here. <laughs> Dude, you should join Sabre society for American baseball research. If you're not already a member, it sounds I, like it'd be a great spot for you. I, yeah. I feel like maybe that I, I should do that. So what's the thing you learned about you? That's a hard one, man. <laughs> because so much of the book is an exploration of my own, you know, I'm an introspective guy and the book is a very introspective look at myself in that world. I guess I learned that I had these unconscious dreams of being a major leaguer myself much longer than I would have hoped for to the point where like my relation, my girlfriend at the time was badgering me lovingly i think telling me like hey going back another season is not good for you you're chasing after something that's really not gonna happen and i mean in between the two seasons that i was there i was just getting drunk at like 11 a.m playing video yeah. games didn't have a job just listless and she just looked at me and said you're setting yourself up to have no other choice but to go back to baseball and do you think that's really what's best for you and i was like well you know that's what i'm gonna do yeah and i think like there's a part of me that wanted to set myself up to have no other choice, right? But to get sucked back into that game. And I think I learned that, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I learned that I had different dreams than I expected. And I realized that, Hey man, maybe I'm actually a writer at the end of all of this. Yeah. I swear to God, I feel like there's, we've had these parallel journey, like literally deciding yeah. to interview with the devil raiser, like except my graduate program i was like well there's very rare times that you get to stand at a crossroad and go well shit this a crossroad <laughs> yes that's so interesting because that i got in i could have gone back for a third season but instead i went to grad school it's very yeah. like, almost the exact same choice yeah and i don't know about you but like i didn't go see a baseball game or watch a game for probably i don't know five or six years like if it was Same. on TV in a bar, I wouldn't make him turn it off. But like, I just couldn't do it. I was like, this is like watching the ex-girlfriend that you love marry your best friend. Dude, same. <laughs> I, I, I still can't watch a game the same way or, or care about it in the same way. And they're like, oh, who's in first place in the standings? And who's the, yeah. the batting average? I was like, I don't care about that anymore. I just watched somebody slide into second base. I'm like, oh, the clubhouse attendant is going to have to do 15 minutes extra work. <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff I see now. Yeah. It's my high school nemesis is the coach of my hometown baseball team. So like, it's a night, like watching the reds. I'm like that. Like I played, I, come on. 
Like what's what's David Bell doing there? Come on. <laughs> and like it's a little enraging because I was really happy when everybody I knew retired and I'm like, "Well, shit, now they're all coaches." <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I, I want to see you anywhere, man. <laughs> so do you yeah. think you'll revisit baseball in a book or was this like a was this sort of like the period on the sentence for you? I don't foresee myself writing another baseball book for a very long time, if ever. I, I said everything that I have to say about that game in this book, at least for right now. There's yeah. no more for me to say. Right now, I'm working on an, a love story novel, nothing to do with baseball at all. So you literally um, are cleaning the palette completely. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'll be in. So I live about 30 minutes south of the Round Rock Express AAA affiliate for the Rangers now, I believe. Dell Diamond, uh, I'll right? Be, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I've been there I'll many be, times. <laughs> I'll be in their press box this year uh, watching. I want to see how these changes to minor league baseball affect the players and yeah. their lives. I'll be interested in seeing how that work, how that shakes out. But beyond that, baseball doesn't particularly interest me in, in any that way, way right now. Yeah, that's so fascinating to like sort of be able to put it all down in the book. And like it's a moment, right? Like it's a step away moment. Exactly. That's exactly how it feels. And I think a lot of people, when they read the book, they see my characters potentially being cynical about the game. And I don't know. I don't think that's accurate. I think I just grew to love the game in a different way where I care more about the people than yeah. I do about the box scores. It's interesting. It's a love that hurts. Like it's like a real love instead of that. Like, you know, when I was a kid, like my coach put a hundred guys in the major leagues, there were major leaguers around all the time. Wow. So you're just sort of like, well, this is a thing it was never going to be a thing right? yeah. <laughs> and but and then you sort of go through that heartbreak and i sort of love the game differently than i did when i played like i have to because otherwise it's a madness oh yeah it's a madness <laughs> uh, to me it's an addiction yeah um, it's that, a, yeah that's yeah that's what it felt the most like in the clubhouse in the, in professional baseball clubhouse it felt most like an addiction for those guys at least in you know a low level minor league system where I don't know how many hundreds of players I saw come through my clubhouse those two seasons, but out of them, I, I mean, there are three of them that have had stable major league baseball careers out of those several hundred the rest of the guys, they maybe they had a cup of coffee. Maybe they're still toiling away somewhere, but uh, it was scratching lottery tickets for a lot of those guys. Yeah. And you, if you've been around the game, like, I, whenever I'm at a minor league game, before I know who the person is, I'm like, I think it's that guy. Like, you can just see. Like, a major yes. league body moves differently than a minor league body. Like, it just – and you don't know if they're going to be great, but you know who the prospect is. <laughs> yes. there. What was really fun about working in a in at that level, short season single A, which is specifically set up for guys to – when it still existed, it was set up for guys to come out of the draft and get a couple of months of yeah. professional experience. There, every once in a while, someone would surprise you. Like that first season, uh, 2012, we had a pitcher named Josh Hader, who was just like a skinny guy straight out of high school. And now he's one of the best relief pitchers in yeah. the game. I had, I mean, I had no idea who, to me, he was just like an 18 year old who threw like anyone else in the clubhouse. And then all of a sudden you, I look up and he's a solid major league reliever. That's the beauty of that level. But, uh, you know, there's always the flip side of yeah. all the guys who wash out, you know? Well, and I feel like with pitchers too, it's a little bit weirder because they have they, the joke is always like, well, I won't know if you're good until after you get Tommy John surgery. Like everybody yeah. throws 97 miles an hour. Can you throw it that way after your elbows falling off? And can you still hit the corner? <laughs> Amen. 
there's a lot of there are a lot of throwers at that level. Yeah, a bunch of guys who just got drafted, who got uh, picked up because they can throw 97, but yeah, all over the place. Yeah, just wild. It's, it's been, and then we'll leave with this. But it's been fun. I've been, uh, I go to the game with a friend of mine, and um, she's like, I want to know how you know what pitch they're gonna throw. And so we've started talking about philosophies and the ways in which you approach people and two seamers and four seamers and all that kind of stuff. And she has just like completely been fascinated. She's like, okay, this makes sense. Like, yeah, everybody throws hard at that level, but only a few people can throw hard on a corner on a two, two pitch with the bases loaded or a three, two, like, like that's when you get a pitcher. Everybody else is just, you know, they got a big torso and you know, good torque. Exactly. dude. Exactly. (laughs) And you know, what was fun was seeing, that players in the dugout, they play the same games that we play in the stands. They play the same games in the dugout. They're guessing pitches and they're saying yeah. like, oh, I bet he's going to hit a dinger here. Like that yeah. kind of stuff. It's the same exact chatter, but it's just a bit more refined, I guess. It's yeah, more, yeah. They're better at predicting, I suppose. Yeah. And they're better at physically doing it. They're better at all of the things around it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is why I sit in the 300 level eating a hot dog going, there's going to be a slider. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Greg, it has been fantastic to talk to you. I normally I wear the cowboy hat, as I told you, like I put on my special Oriole hat that I got at Father's Day, um, because I oh this is the only time I get to wear it when I talk about baseball. Yeah. Uh, the book's out now. It's everywhere, I'm assuming. Yes, sir. Uh, get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. The best place to get uh, to get in touch with me, follow me on social media, Clubby Podcast, all of that kind of stuff is at the book website, clubbybook.com. C-L-U-B-B-I-E book.com. Tons of extra content. It's a good time. Because the extra, I'm assuming you recorded and had like all your interviews and like. Oh, all kinds of good stuff. Like I have deleted scenes in there. I have uh, interviews with, with players who are in the book, all this kind of stuff. That's awesome. On the website, the deep dive of baseball. Well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I I cannot wait to, I am going to get this book and read it immediately because this sounds right up my alley. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate (laughs) you having me on. All right, brother. Have a good day. All right. You too. That was Greg Larson. I'm going to ride this Baltimore Orioles fedora out the whole way. His book is clubby, a minor league baseball memoir. You can get that right now. I am thinking that I might need to get a, whole baseball section of the writer's jam because if there's a writer out there doing something on baseball i'm very clearly going to have them on the program and we're going to talk in great detail about baseball before we get out of here just a couple reminders if you like what you heard do us those two favors that i talked about at the top of the show i felt a little bit like chuck woolery there and i apologize for that leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and if you have an ipad or Uh, an iPhone. If you can head over to Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave us a written review, which would be fantastic. Also, tell your friends about us. They're looking for things to do out in the world again. Hopefully, they are vaccinated and going out in the world again. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With Podcast with our host, the Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget, these video podcasts are out-ish Monday and Friday, sort of putting them out there. You can get those on the Solid Listen Podcast Network YouTube channel. That's a lot of stuff. Or you can catch the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Jam Proper, that 60-minute show that we do, that's out every Wednesday. So make sure you get subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts because you don't want to miss any of this stuff. 
I promise you. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Riders Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet, possibly Baltimore. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.